Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, who, who will, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are prosecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were there before you. Good morning. Uh, Thank you, Jasmine, for reading that scripture for us this morning. Uh, This is the time our our kids are going to head out to Children's Church, so they'll head out that direction. Uh, Three years old through second grade will head to the other building. There's also a nursery uh, over there and a cry room in the back if you need any of that for your your little ones this morning. Uh, So Jasmine read for us the the scripture that we're going to be in this morning uh, as we begin our look at the Sermon on the Mount in, in Matthew 5, uh, but we're going to start somewhere uh, a little bit different before we get to that this morning. Uh, there's, there's a familiar scene that plays out in part of Acts where Paul and Silas come into a new, uh, a new village, a new town, and as usually happens, it seems, throughout Acts, when Paul comes into a new place, an angry mob follows him. It seems to, to kind of be a recurring Theme. And so this angry mob is following him around. They come up, and, and Luke tells us in Acts that they create an uproar in Thessalonica, where Paul and Silas come now. And so this mob is, is going through the city looking for Jesus' followers, and they find this house where a bunch of them are gathered, and they go in. They drag all the people out of this house and throw them before the city officials. And they tell the officials this. They say, these men who have turned the world upside down, have come here also. They are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And so this is the primary, one of the primary charges against the early church and against early Christians is that they have turned the world upside down. And they have just created such chaos and havoc with with their teachings, with their way of living, that they have literally turned the world upside down. Uh, And most of this was because they are claiming allegiance to another king, and as a result of that, to another kingdom. Uh, Maybe you can relate to that imagery Uh, to your world just being turned upside down by something. Maybe you've had a moment in life where where you you thought you knew where things were going and then something happened to you. There was a change in your circumstances. There was a change in life. Uh, You found out new information. You came to learn something different or from a different point of view or perspective. And it was like your, your world was like this, right? And everything was going along great. And then something happened and it just flipped. Flipped that way to where it's still... Where is there? There you go. Uh, just flipped. 
And now it's like my, my world has just been turned upside down. It's disorienting. It causes at least a little bit of chaos anytime something like that happens, right? And that's what's happening in the early church. And it's, it's what's happening, it seems like, in a lot of Jesus' ministry, that he is, he's turning the world on its head. And it's what it seems like is happening in a lot of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, from the beginning of the sermon that we're going to look at today, all through the rest of the sermon then, there's, there's a long stretch where Jesus says, you've heard it said this, but I tell you this. It's this flipping the world over. And so we could see that as Jesus turning the world upside down. Uh, but I think, if you look at it from a different vantage point, it seems like what Jesus is really doing is flipping the world back right side up. Uh, that Jesus comes along and says, hold on, <laughs> uh, things are backwards. Uh, Jesus' ministry is connected to words like restore and redeem, uh, reconciliation. These are words of, of bringing the world and bringing people back into order. Uh, taking a world that, that has been turned upside down by, by sin, by greed, by arrogance, by pride, and everything that results of those things from, from us as humans. Jesus comes along and says, the world has been flipped upside down, and I've come to turn it back right side up. And so this is what the early church is going about doing, trying to go about the, the work and the mission of turning the world right side up again. Uh, the problem is that to the rest of the world, it looks like you're trying to turn the world upside down. Uh, and it's what we see, I think, in the Sermon on the Mount. In the Sermon on the Mount, you have no idea how tempted I was this morning just to start throwing that thing around. But I guess we won't. See how much time we have at the end. Uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus lays out his case for a world turned right side up. Uh, he imagines a world in which people live by different standards. A world where love and righteousness flow from the lives of those who claim a citizenship in heaven. A world in which the unlikeliest of people are considered blessed. And that's where he begins this, this sermon with this series of, of blessings. Uh, and so dictionary.com, which I'm sure is a resource Jesus used when he was putting his sermon together, uh, dictionary.com defines blessing this way as a special favor, mercy, or benefit, or a favor or gift bestowed by God. Uh, perhaps more culturally relevant in, in the Greek uh, in which the New Testament is written, the word that is translated as blessed in our Bible could mean blessed or happy. Uh, it was kind of contextually known as, as a word that would uh, be used for happy. And if you replace blessed with happy in this scripture, it'll change the way you read it if you want to go home and do that later. Uh, and so Jesus then seems to be saying in the Beatitudes that, that there is some benefit to mourning. That those who, who seek peace garner favor. And that perhaps true happiness is even possible in the face of persecution and insult. You see, we, we typically think of, of blessings as, some, as things more overtly positive than that. 
And so this way of seeing blessings then seems like a world turned upside down. Uh, Because blessings to us, when we use that term, we're typically talking about something that has a more overt positive impact or influence on our lives. And so it seems as if Jesus is, is flipping our perspective here and turning our world upside down. That Jesus is saying, actually, why don't you try to look at it this way? Uh, but instead of turning our world upside down, maybe it is he's trying to set us up right again. Uh, so Jesus, he preaches this sermon to his disciples, uh, for one, who are sitting directly in front of him. Uh, but also to a large crowd then that has, has gathered from some of the surrounding towns and villages that are following him around. And I think this crowd is important when we think about, again, this, this idea of Jesus trying to make the world right again, turn it right side up, and the context of these blessings that he is proclaiming over us as, as hearers, as listeners, and, and what he considers to be blessed people. Uh, so listen to, this is the end of chapter 4, right before the beginning of this sermon. Uh, again, the Sermon on the Mount begins in Matthew 5, so if you skip back just a few verses, this is Matthew 4, picking up in verse 23. It says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across Jordan followed him. And then we get to chapter 5. It says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. When he saw the crowds. And again, think about the, the collection of people made up in this crowd. It's, it's people who are in pain, people who are ill, people who have been suffering from disease, people who are overcome with seizures, people who have demons. This is the collection of people that have gathered. And so Jesus sees this crowd, and he sits down and begins with these beatitudes. Uh, this is not a crowd that would be used to having people refer to them as blessed. This is not a crowd that is, is used to the idea of people proclaiming blessings over them. Uh, you can think of other times in, in Scripture uh, where, where we see this idea come into play, that this is, a, this is a group of people who would not have been considered blessed, and that was very much a part of their culture. You may remember there's a story in John when Jesus and his disciples passed by a blind man, Who's, who's sitting there kind of beside him as they pass by. And the disciples asked Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And to make that story even, even worse and seem kind of more cold and harsh, it seems like they ask it like when they're sitting right beside him. Like you would think, like I picture the, the blind guy just saying, you know, hey, I'm blind, not deaf, right? Like, <laughs> I can hear you. You could have waited till you were past. But no, they're just like, hey, look, this guy's in rough shape. Who messed up that he had to go through this? This is just kind of the, the attitude that, that, that people of this time had about people with things like blindness or other physical disabilities or illnesses or seizures or demons or whatever it is. 
If you had some type of disability or ailment or paralysis, it must be because you messed up somewhere along the way. God is in some way punishing you. You are in this position uh, because you somehow deserve this based on your own mistakes and decisions. Uh, Interestingly, I think we have similar thoughts, but we usually attach those assumptions to things like poverty and socioeconomic status and things like that. Uh, But this was the idea uh, that that was prevalent in this culture, that if, if these were things that you were afflicted with, surely you did something wrong. And so, my goodness, what a collection of cursed sinners we have coming to follow Jesus, right? Imagine the thoughts that would have been prevalent about this crowd of people that have gathered to hear this guy speak uh, and to hope to receive some type of healing from him. But instead, Jesus looks out at this crowd and says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven doesn't belong to people with the most money, or the best health, the nicest hair, the loudest prayers, none of that. The blessing of the kingdom of heaven is for those who have emptied themselves. And I'm guessing there were some people in that crowd who felt pretty empty. Uh, Jesus says those who mourn are blessed because they will be comforted. And I'm guessing the people there knew the value of comfort. And so a reminder that there's blessing and even mourning because of its capacity to bring people together probably had great impact and meant something to the people gathered on that mountainside. And on and on we could go with the list that Jesus lays out. And as he lays out this this collection of blessings... Jesus radically reorients our perspective related to who is included among those who are called blessed. He invites us to welcome in the marginalized, the forgotten, the broken, and the left out and say, you too are blessed. In the process then, he also extends to us an invitation to look at our own lives And ask if we are living with the type of perspective that recognizes the potential for blessings in these circumstances and situations. Uh, Again, because the dominant thoughts of the world tell us that blessings look like accomplishments and promotions and riches. Blessings are associated with, with words like bigger and better and more and upgrades. We connect the idea of blessings to things like power and money and health. In contrast, we tend to see times of of insult, persecution, and false accusations as as opportunities for martyrdom. There are opportunities for us to get defensive. uh, Opportunities for us to, to find justification for things like protest and anger and angst. Uh, But Jesus said our response in those circumstances should be to rejoice and be glad. We may be tempted to see things like meekness and mercy as weakness. But to Jesus, they are the true source of empowerment. We may see mourning as something to avoid. 
or at best something to endure. But Jesus sees it as an opportunity to lean on each other in genuine community. Emptying myself to the point that I am poor in spirit and and develop this hunger and thirst for righteousness uh, isn't something that fits within a context that tells us to be self-made individuals who pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and who are responsible for our own success. But Jesus says we are filled with true life and belong to the kingdom of heaven when we take such a posture before God. Purity of heart can take a back seat to clever schemes, to shortcuts or moral compromises that promise to get us ahead in life. But Jesus says purity of heart gives us the clarity of vision with which we can see God. We often short-circuit the work of of making peace in the name of, of simply diluting or negating tension. But God calls His children those who are willing to do the hard work of pursuing a peace that looks like God's vision for justice in this world that is accomplished through his people. And in each individual item in this list of blessings, there is an invitation to surrender. To surrender our lives, our agendas, our selfishness, our anger, our defensiveness, our self-righteousness at the feet of the one who completely gave of himself for us. And, and again, as I think of the crowd that has gathered to, to hear this message from Jesus, uh, I have to think that, again, this is a group that's probably uh, well, well connected with this eye of having to surrender. Uh, they're probably very familiar with surrendering voluntarily or involuntarily to others. So it's probably a group that has had to surrender their privacy their mobility, in some cases their dignity. They are reliant on others for care, for transportation, for survival. They are people well acquainted with surrender. And and that is the life that Jesus is calling us to, a life of surrender to his way of seeing the world, uh, to his will, But he promises us throughout his ministry that if you will surrender in this way, you will find the life that is truly life. It's not that I'm trying to flip your world upside down. It's that I'm trying to turn it back over again. The the Beatitudes are an invitation to surrender. Uh, And surrender is, of course, hard. It's another aspect of Jesus' worldview that that simply doesn't make sense from a worldly point of view. But it's at the heart of living a life that recognizes the blessings that Jesus explores throughout this passage. Uh, But again, pursuing that way of thinking, that way of, of living isn't easy. It can be a stressful proposition at times. Because anything that that changes, uh, again, the orientation of our world, whichever way you're you're thinking about flipping it, uh, it's going to be disruptive, it's going to be disorienting, it's going to cause at least a little bit of chaos. Uh, I've I've often liked to think of of this sermon as kind of Jesus grabbing a snow globe of our life and just kind of shaking it up. (laughs) 
um, and watching everything kind of settle back into place. And that seems to be almost what he's doing throughout this sermon. Uh, There are factors that, that pull us to see blessings differently than Jesus, even within a Christian context. Uh, I've, I've always, I've felt this with, you know, on social media and things like that. Now there's this, this trend of, it seems like it's maybe a little kind of uh, past its time, or maybe still people still use it, this hashtag blessed. It was even kind of a saying for a while. Uh, and people usually use it, right, when, when good things happen in their lives. Even in a Christian context, we think of, of being blessed, and we think of blessings in terms of when God shows up to do the things in my life that, that I want him to do. And so I am blessed when God acts in the way that I want him to act in my life, basically. Uh, But that's not the list that Jesus lays out here. And so I've got to be willing to recognize that even in those moments when things don't go the way that I pray they go, there's opportunity for blessing. Uh, Even in those moments when when life is, is hard and difficult, there's opportunity for blessing. And maybe in those moments, it's not that God has turned his back on me. Maybe it's that he is pulling me through something for some type of blessing I don't yet recognize. Maybe it's that there is something on the other side of this that that I can't see at this point, but I trust that God is pulling me through this for a reason. And when we rely on him in those moments, we, we find blessing that we wouldn't think would be possible in many of these situations. But it requires us being willing to say, maybe the way that I'm looking at the world is actually upside down, and and I've got to flip some stuff back over again. Uh, Again, that can take take a lot of of intentional rethinking of our perspective and thinking about the way that we view the world, our lives, uh, all those types of things. And uh, unfortunately, I don't have enough inflatable globes to give all of you this morning to take but I do have some smaller globes to give. So if our guys are back there, Zeke and David, y'all back there with your, your little box of Travis is going to help them. I could get maybe one or two more volunteers back with them. If somebody wants to go help them pass some stuff out, Jasmine's got it. I said it can be stressful, so we've got globe-themed stress balls <laughs> to give you this morning. We may not have enough for every individual, but each family will, will at least get... Get a couple, probably. Uh, And so, I did this at the end, so you don't have much time left to throw them at me. Um, (laughs) um, Here's what I want to invite you to do. I want to invite you to take this globe uh, and to set it somewhere, wherever it is that you are most likely to be tempted to see blessings from a worldly point of view. Uh, When you are most likely tempted... To, for your perspective to shift from the way that Jesus is calling you to see the world to the way that the world calls us to see success and blessings and happiness and goodness. Maybe that's on your desk at work. Maybe it's in the cup holder of your car as you yell at people driving down I-35. Maybe it's, it's on your bedside table where your kids come in too early in the morning. <laughs> Or so early in the morning, it's still late at night. (laughs) Where is it that we find ourselves being tempted to define blessings differently, to, to, to see the world through a different perspective? And where do we need to be reminded that Jesus is calling us to flip our perspective back over? 
Uh, and, and I just want to say, this isn't to say that things like working hard at our jobs, caring for our families, wanting to, to do the best that we can in worldly situations, it's not to say that those things aren't important. It's not to say that those things aren't even good. But when we, when we pursue those things as a way of procuring God's blessing in our lives, uh, we've got something backwards. We've got something upside down. Those things have place and they have purpose. Uh, but Jesus calls us in this sermon and throughout his ministry uh, to see the world in a different frame of mind, to see blessings in a different frame of mind that helps us to reorient uh, all of our lives around his kingdom. That requires a bit of surrender. It requires intentionality. Uh, It requires work. We have to remain connected to Jesus then in our spiritual habits and practices and be mindful of how we are looking at the world. And to ask ourselves, do I have things right side up or upside down? And so, whether it's through the help of of connecting with Jesus in our own times, or even something as as silly and simple as as looking at a globe-themed stress ball, or or even squeezing it quite repeatedly on those days that you're really struggling, uh, may we be people who see the world right side up, even though that may seem to others that we have everything upside down. Uh, This morning, uh, as we remember Jesus around the table in communion, uh, we remember uh, how he came and adopted this way of life to show us what it looks like, that he freely gave of himself for us. And so as as the band comes back on stage, uh, we're going to continue uh, to sing and to be reminded of how it is the love of God that propelled Christ to come and give of himself for us. And it is the love of Christ uh, that awakens us to a new way of seeing the world or a renewed and restored way of seeing the world. And so as we sing, uh, may we remember what Christ has done for us and in us. And as we share in communion, may we remember his life and proclaim his death and his resurrection until he comes again. And this week, may we all be blessed. Uh, Blessed not because of the cars that we drive or the job that we have or the fancy meals that we will eat, but blessed because we have the love of Christ and we know peace uh, that, that surpasses even our own understanding. And because of that, we can call ourselves blessed. Uh, Would you stand as we sing and then share in communion together this morning? There were walls between us By the cross you came and broke them down You broke them down There were chains around us By your grace we are no longer bound You call me out of the grave, you call me into the light, you call my name and then my heart came alive. Your love is greater, your love is stronger, your love awakens, awakens, awakens me. Your love is greater, your love is stronger. 
remain standing, we'll pray our prayer of confession together, and then we'll share in communion this morning. So I'll pray the parts in white, and then uh, invite you to collectively, we'll pray the parts in yellow. Father, we confess to each other and to you, our Creator, that we fall short of being what we were created to be and what we have committed ourselves to be. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of Christ. We often seek out the easiest paths, paths of least involvement in places where we might be uncomfortable or paths of self-centeredness. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of righteousness. We confess that we have not loved you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. Bring us out of darkness, Lord, and into the light of your love. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of light. Forgive us for getting so caught up in the world's trappings and its false messages of hope that we lose sight of the hope of the kingdom, which brings healing and peace to a world in turmoil. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build a kingdom of peace. May we resolve to become more kingdom-minded, to be peacemakers here and now. Amen. You may be seated.